His name is William Montgomery. He, at the time, was pastoring a church in Cherryville, North Carolina. If you're familiar with that town, um, you're lying. You have never heard of it. Uh, 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 late in the summer of 2019, William um, suffered 13 strokes. Um, he lost most of his eyesight. Uh, he lost all uh, renal function. Um, and uh, he nearly went home to be with the Lord. Uh, but not only has the Lord uh, been good to William in restoring his strength, uh, but our dear brother uh, is back in the pulpit and he is preaching again. So would you please join me in welcoming from North Carolina, William Montgomery. morning. It's wonderful to spend some time with pastors. And as I lay in that hospital room, if I knew that the Lord would give me this opportunity to encourage someone else, that would have been just enough for the experience itself. As we uh, look at what I'm going to speak to you on this morning, I'm not going to do an exposition. It's going to be my testimony, but I am going to go to the Word and try to give us some principles or some ways maybe to think through life as a pastor who suffers. So I open this morning by reading Psalm 119, verse 71. The psalmist says, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Brothers, I want to convince you that suffering is a sanctifying class in God's school of ministry. We don't like to hear it, but a call to pastoral ministry in reality is a call to suffer. Paul instructs his young son Timothy in the faith, yea, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall, not might, shall, not maybe, shall suffer persecution. It'll come from different angles. It'll come at different times, but trust me, it will come. It is my prayer that when this suffering comes, you will be prepared to not only endure the suffering, but to endure it in a way that pleases almighty God. One day when the suffering comes in your life, I pray that you can join with the psalmist in 1971 and say, it was good for me that I was afflicted. The pastor is suffering is a topic I didn't think I would speak on. I was raised in the home of a minister. I had ministers coming by the house weekly getting books from my father, receiving help on sermons. And I resolved when I was young that I would never be a pastor. And all of that changed in 2014. And I was called to my first pastorate. It was there 
that I was a young, healthy, eager expositor ready to take the world by storm. My church was a rural church out in the country in a place that you wouldn't even be able to find somewhere down in North Carolina. And I was excited about what the future held. I had the implicit belief, as I'm afraid some of you may have, that the life of ministry would be a life of ease. Couldn't have been further from the truth. Five years into my ministry, I remember preaching on a Sunday afternoon, and I mean, the church was on fire. We were having a good time, and I preached the word with all of my mind, and as I came out of the pulpit, an elder sister came up to me and said, Pastor, you don't look so good. I didn't think uh, too much about it. Later that week, in fact, that Thursday, my wife, who's a school teacher, had a had orientation at her school, and she went to her school to do that. And so I took our children to their school, and as I walked into the building, I felt the pain go up my ankle, travel to my neck, the worst pain I'd ever felt in my life. As we stumbled around the school to try to get all the supplies we needed for them to start the school year, I can remember laying out on the pavement in front of the school and saying, I need to go to the hospital. I called my sister. I said, Tiff, you got to take me to the hospital. And then I thought for a second, and maybe the Montgomery stubbornness or foolishness kicked in. And I said, well, I'll just go to football practice, and after that I'll take the kids Take, take myself to the hospital. So we go to practice. We get to uh, the house. My wife and I, we go to the emergency room, and there we are met with visible shock. Uh, the nurse, the triage nurse, looks at me, takes my vitals, and swiftly sends me to a room in the ER. And she said, Mr. Montgomery, you have just earned yourself a front-line seat in the emergency room. My blood pressure was dangerously high. They told me I was going to have to stay in for the night. I get settled into my room. I start a round of heavy medications. And then I remember having this conversation with my wife before I was rolled into the ICU because they couldn't get my blood pressure down. I said, look, just do whatever you got to do to keep me here. And we'll talk about it tomorrow. But brothers, I went to sleep, took a nap in that ICU room. And in my mind, I woke up four weeks later, an hour down the road in Charlotte, North Carolina, at a different hospital. As I wake up, I find out that as the blood work was taken in the first hospital, it was discovered that my kidneys had failed. I had no renal function. I required immediate dialysis. I lost a large percentage of my eyesight. My memory was gone. My wife and I have been together for 22 years. I know I'm young, but we've been dating for 22 years. We haven't been married that long. I remembered her as my girlfriend and not as my wife. As I'm sitting in the room, my children come running into the room. Daddy! Daddy, and I looked around like, what kind of joke are they, are they playing on me? I don't have any kids. My son landed and said, Daddy, I am I'm your son. I live with you. you. You know me. I had no recollection of who he was. 
But the biggest shock to me was as I looked around my room, I said, everybody's here. Mom's here. My cousin Mary, she's, she's here. I said, where's dad? Keep in mind, this is August 2019. My father passed away in July of 2010. And that's when the news was broken to me that he was no longer with us. So having to realize that now all of a sudden I can't see, I can't walk, and my father's passed away, and I'm trying to figure out why is this happening to me? Is there some unrepentant sin that I'm caught up in? I'm, I'm wrecking my brain. Is there, is there some sin that the Lord is trying to keep me from? Is, is it just the, the, the reality of life in a fallen world in which all of God's children are subject to suffering? I'm, I'm asking these questions, why? And brothers, I would commend that practice to you. It's not so much that you question God, it's how you question God. We do not stand over top of God in a condescending judgment as if to cast dispersion on his decisions. We stand under God as one seeking true understanding. And I believe that if we ask God, he will help us to get some sense of why these things are happening. The exact answer as to why this happened, it never, it never really came. I never got any crystal clarity about why I was suffering. But I do remember distinctly that a quote came to my mind from A.W. Tozer as I laid in that hospital room. Tozer writes, It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. God actually raises up storms in our lives to accomplish that deeper work of character. He says we cannot love our enemies in our own strength. This is graduate level grace. Are you willing to enter the school? Are you willing to take the test? And if you do, you must pass this test. I was aware that suffering is not to be unexpected regardless of if you're in the ministry or not. Many of us who are good, solid, Bible-preaching, Bible-believing, Reformed, Baptists, or wherever denomination you're in, Christians, the rubber meets the road when what you claim to believe you're forced to live. It's easy to talk about what we think and what we believe, but in these moments when, when life grips you and won't let you go, it, it can kind of challenge your notion of everything. I can remember I would, I would, I would defend, I would defend against charismatic doctrine, but I was trying everything when I was in that hospital room. <laughs> I was naming it and claiming it and everything else. <laughs> saying, son of David, have mercy on me. I remember asking that, Lord, please. 
And then I began to try to reason with God. Don't, 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 don't judge me too quickly because if, if, if you're not solid, if you're not, if you're not uh, uh, ready for this moment when it comes, you, you don't know what, what depths you'll go to. I remember reasoning with God. God, this, people were telling me you're going to do great things. You, 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 there's got so much ahead for you. you you're going to go far and you're going to do great in, in the kingdom of God. And I thought, God, how in the world can I do it? Look at where you have me. I'm in rehab. I can't walk. They tell me I'm a pastor. I'm shocked. <laughs> I'm like, how in the world can this be part of your plan? God has a way of dropping little doses of humor into situations like that. Sometimes you have to laugh to keep from crying. Some of my pastor friends came to visit me during the time which I had lost my mind. And they said I had become an Armenian. <laughs> and I was affirming women in pastoral ministry. And they thought to themselves, something has gone really wrong. So why does God do this? Why does God put us through these types of afflictions? I believe he does it to grow us and mature us. As I started out preaching, I remember distinctly there were older saints in my congregation who they had lived life, they had walked miles, they had been through things. I had never been through anything. So I would speak and preach the promises of God, and I believed those promises then and now. But I had never had to experience anything in my life. And God gave me this opportunity to experience suffering that other people endure. God will do that, friends. God will prepare you for what he has coming to you. And then from that, he will develop you into what he wants you to be. This traumatic situation that takes too long to explain everything that I went through. After the hospital uh, stay, I went to rehab. I went from a wheelchair to a walker, from a walker to a struggle to learn how to walk. Uh, fell after a dialysis session, fractured my back, developed multiple blood clots in my lungs, spent time in the hospital. From there, I got out. I did three years of weekly dialysis three times a week, all in an effort to try to get a kidney. And then finally, on February the 4th, 2022, and this is just so amazing about God and His grace, we woke up that Thursday morning. It's a rainy day. I was to preach the gospel that morning at a funeral. Ironically enough, the funeral I preached was of a man who had passed from kidney failure, not able to uh, sustain his function because he wasn't doing dialysis the way he was supposed to. He dies from kidney uh, failure. I preach his funeral. I get a call at 10 o'clock that night from the hospital. They say we have a kidney. Um, but there's three people in line for it. You're the third on the list. If they don't take it, it's yours. They, they tell us that. They said they'll call back. They call back maybe 20, 30 minutes later, and they say that they took the kidneys. Don't worry, Mr. Montgomery, this thing happens. 
My wife and I remember we laid there. We prayed fervently for the surgeries of the individuals who accepted the kidney. Prayed that God would bless them and the doctors and that, that everything would work out well and the kidney would do well for them. And then we, we went to sleep. Three o'clock in the morning, phone rang again. The one who took the kidney, the guy who was in front of me, tested positive for COVID and therefore couldn't do the surgery. So they told us to come as quick as we could. We got in the car, we went. And on that morning, that Friday morning, God blessed me with a kidney. And that, that has been the game changer in my life. That, that has given me the energy that I need to keep doing the things that God has called me to do. I consider that a testimony of God's grace. The fact that I can even stand before you guys this morning and even speak and be able to see, it, this is just amazing of what God has done. But can I quickly interject that God's not just good because he made me better. God's good because he's good. There was something I was trying to constantly communicate during that sickness. And we need to love God for him and not for his gifts only. God is amazing. He's good. He's always good. I would pray to him every morning, hold my hands during these dialysis sticks. God, don't let me go. Not always that I would get better, although I want it to be. But Lord, just don't let my faith slip. Let me hold on. Keep Keep me firm in your hands throughout all of this. And brothers, I think this is important. We need to, we first of all, we need to model what it looks like to suffer well. I'm not saying that I have, but by God's grace, I am trying to keep on keeping on so that those who are following and those who are watching can say, listen, if he can do it, maybe I can do it. Ed was telling us, you'd be amazed at the people who are watching us and who are looking upon us. And their faith is encouraged when we are steadfast in ours. So I pray, brothers, that, 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 that you would make it your goal, that you would make it your aim, that regardless of what happens, you will try to suffer well. If you have your few moments, take your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians. I want to lift up three lessons for us from this passage that we as pastors need to have tattooed on our eyelids. We need to always keep before us these three realities. Sanctification is not does not derive a means of sanctification is not suffering in and of itself. The means of sanctification is God's word and spirit. However, sanctification can be used in order to grow and mature us. And I have learned some deep lessons from the Lord during this season. And I come to Second Corinthians as Paul has been my teacher over these past few years. And the first lesson that I have learned from Paul in the opening section of 2 Corinthians is the reality of God's sovereignty. 
In verses 1 and 2, the apostle Paul writes, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, to all the saints who are in Achaia, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul is writing to this beleaguered church in Corinth because there's been a fracture in the relationship. And in against that, in the backdrop, Paul has this anguish and this suffering that he's experiencing in his own life. And as I look to Paul, who, yes, is an apostle, I do see a model to pattern myself after in the ministry. What could make Paul sustain himself during this turmoil in Corinth? I believe it was this. He understood that he was placed in this situation by the sovereign will of God. Brothers, I told you I never really got an answer as to why I was suffering, but I did know this. I knew that I am where I am because God had placed me there. And friends, it is better, better to be in the will of God than anywhere else. I'd rather be with God in the boat on the storm than safe alone on the shore by myself. God had sovereignly orchestrated all things to put me where he wanted me to be. He had me in the church he wanted me to be in, with the people he wanted me to be with. Someone needs to hear that this morning. Pastoral ministry can be agonizing and difficult. There's members, sheep who bite. That there are problems that, that we cannot work ourselves around and, and we may be tempted to leave and quit and give up. And we need to remember God has us where he has us for a purpose. God has a reason for putting you there. And God has promised to take care of us. Notice that this God is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if he's the father of the Lord Jesus Christ, friends, that means he's your father. If you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have been united to Christ, then you have all of the benefits of the fatherhood of God. And here's one thing I know about God. He'll never leave. He'll never forsake. Friends and family may come near you during times of sorrow and trouble. But no one can be with you at all times. No one's with you when you're alone. And you're wondering to yourself, why is this happening to me? No no one is with you when you're in those hospital rooms by yourself. Nobody is with you in your inner being when you are in the bed at night by yourself and you're wrestling, trying to figure out, God, what are you doing in my life? But God is with us. God is with us, and what motivated Paul is what must motivate us. It is this simple. God is in control. It's one thing to say it, brothers, but do we believe it? Do do we trust that God is in control and God has our best interests at hand? As I've been with my wife and children, as I have preached and pastored to congregations, One of the things that has comforted me is that I'm not doing this alone. I am doing this through God, by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, brothers, when suffering comes in ministry, when suffering comes, understand the reality of God's sovereignty. 
Secondly, brothers, I want you to understand that when we suffer as pastors, we get to experience the reverberating grace of God's comfort. Verses 3 through 7, Paul tells us this. He tells us that as pastors, we are called to lead our flocks deep into theology that we may take them high in doxology. And so he he opens up this way. Paul, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, blessed be God. What we need more in our churches is some more excitement. We need some more joy about who our God is. This word blessed comes from the word where we get our word eulogy. It means a good word about, a praise. Is there a praise on your lips? Friends, if you don't have a praise on your lips before the suffering comes, you will not have a praise on your lip when the suffering comes. Paul says, blessed be God. Why do we bless God? Why do we praise God? Because of who he is. He's the God. He's the father of our Lord Jesus Christ and the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He's the father of mercies. I love that. Mercies is when I, it's withheld from me what I deserve. I don't deserve to be here this morning. I didn't deserve to live, but, but God is the father of all mercies. Not, not just mercy, friends, but all mercies. That means every type of mercy that you can receive, it finds its fountainhead in God himself. And notice he's the God of all comfort. That word comfort, in English, with strength. When we hear this word comfort, we think of sympathy. We think of tenderness, and it does carry that that meaning. That, that When mom kisses the knee after you scrape a knee, that's comfort. When my wife would rub my head at, in the hospital room, that feels good. That's comfort. But that's not the type of comfort that God It's talking about by itself. Now, God doesn't just give us sympathy. God gives us strength, and God gives us power, comfort. This really could be translated encouragement. He's the God of all encouragement. And brothers, that's what we need when we suffer in the ministry. When you come into the ministry, you understand you are not your own. You're going to be thrown to the wolves. You're in the ministry. You've got a target on your back. The tree that stands tallest in the forest is the first one to be struck when the lightning comes. The enemy is not pleased with what we're doing this week. While we love the singing that is taking place in this room and the preaching that is taking place in this room, it is a pain to the enemy's ears. And since we are in large part, a source of that, he has us in his crossfire. But God gives us reverberating comfort. He doesn't just give us strength. He, through us, gives our people strength. Friends, we need to understand that we are not strong in and of ourselves. And all of our strength, it comes from God. So he'll he'll, he'll give us comfort and then he'll give that comfort to those who are around us. Verse 4 tells us he comforts us in our affliction 
so that there's a purpose clause, we may comfort those who are in any affliction. He comforts us in all of our afflictions. All of our afflictions. As I give this, this, this testimony, I don't want anybody to get it twisted in the room. You don't have to get sick in order to be used by God. <laughs> while, while suffering has helped me to, to minister to people better and to understand people better, if you have the word of God, you have everything that you need for a life of godliness. You have everything you need for ministry if you have the word of God. And your affliction may not be sickness. Some of you in the room, you look good, you look young, you look healthy. You may be thinking, I've never been sick a day in my life. Nothing's ever happened to me. I have never suffered. Well, as the old saints of my church used to say, keep living. Keep waking up. It's going to come one way or another. Suffering comes, friends. But I love what God does. The Bible says he comforts us in all of our afflictions. And there's a purpose behind it so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. I have had so many opportunities, friends, to share the gospel since this has happened to me. There, there have been lost people who have said, how in the world can you keep doing what you're doing? Look at what God did to you. I actually had a friend of mine say that, man, what studying is you did? Much as you sacrificed to, to train and to, and to preach and to serve and for God to let that happen to you, how in the world could you serve a God like that? So those opportunities when we get to give the gospel, friends. Let, let, let your suffering be a platform for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I shrink back at moments like that. I've had people uh, that are in far worse situations in the hospital. I think of Carter Lee and John, who I just met this past week when I was in the hospital. He had 55% of his body burned. And as she's sitting there talking to me, I have the opportunity to ask her if she's attends church anywhere. She lives near a fine pillar church that I was able to point her into in the direction of, and she said she was a, a Roman Catholic, and she just wanted to know what is the difference between the Baptist faith and the Catholic faith. And my heart filled with joy. <laughs> and as I left that situation, I thought to myself, you know, if I had not had those strokes, maybe I wouldn't have met her. God is a, it's an amazing God in which he can take something that is an affliction to me and provide comfort to somebody else. She's sitting there wondering how in the world does this man want to witness and talk about Jesus while he's in the hospital giving, getting these infusions for a failed kidney. And that's when I have to remind her that we do not live for this life only. But we who are believers in Christ Jesus, we live for that life which is to come. Friends, are you living for the life to come this morning? Ministry will not be easy, but God will be good.
So this is the beauty of this, that, that, that this reverberating grace just keeps circling and circling and circling. Verse 5 says, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. This suffering of Christ that Paul talks about here is not his vicarious sufferings on the cross. That is finished. There is no need for that. We share in the sufferings of Christ because of this. We are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are soldiers in his army. And if you are in this army, nobody leaves the battlefield unscathed. And so there's an extra measure of suffering that comes through us because of who we represent. Friends, my life would be a lot easier if I wasn't in the ministry. But when I got sick, they put me on disability and I was at home. Could have been minding my own business. Could, could, could have been doing whatever I wanted to do. But what was I doing? Preaching. Being rolled around in a wheelchair. Preaching. At the dialysis center. Witnessing. And I counted an honor. I had read books and I had heard of how the disciples were, thought it was honorable that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. Oh, brothers, what a glory it is to suffer for the name. What a joy it is to be able to suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ. To have a dialysis tech come up to me and say, hey, Mr. Montgomery, can you come talk to this guy? He's scared. He's afraid because he's, he's worried about doing dialysis because he's not sure if, he'll, if something will happen to him or not. Can you come talk to him? Because they knew that I was a minister of the gospel there. Or the social worker who did not believe in God, who came around and she did the the, the, the work up on everyone in the room just to check their mental health and their mental care. And, and she had my chart and she knew everything that had happened to me. And this is not a brag on me, friends. This is a brag on God. Because I can't explain how it happened. But she was like, I've read your chart. How in the world do you not have any mental distress? How, how do you feel, Mr. Montgomery? How do you feel? I said, I feel good. Really? I said, yes, ma'am, I'm preaching Sunday. You ought to come hear it. I feel real good. Those types of opportunities, those types of moments is what we must live for. We must live to share this good news of the gospel. Paul says we get to share this news and also get to see it reverberate around the congregation and around others who are around us. And when we can speak the truth to people, our hope for them is firm. Verse 7, it is unshaken. Why? Because we know that as they share in our sufferings, they will also share in our comfort. Oh, I love it. The last lesson I had to learn, and I think it's a lesson that we all must learn as pastors, is a a reliance on resurrection power. I came to truly understand that I am immortal until God is done with me. Friends, there's nothing that can happen to you. Nothing can befall you. God is in control. 
And God will sustain you and keep you until the day you close your eyes and take your last breath. And even if you die, <laughs> it's good news. As we'll see, God raises the dead. This is what Paul writes. Verse 8, for we do, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers. We're not keeping you in the dark. We don't want you to be unaware of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength, that utterly burden that speaks of this pressure that was on top of Paul. It doesn't tell us exactly what he was going through, and I'm glad it doesn't tell us exactly what he's going through because you can insert your situation into that. I was greatly burdened beyond my strength. There's nothing I can do. Nothing I can do. He says, he was so burdened, he despaired of life itself. He said in verse 9, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. As a part of my story that's left out, a man who, who, who was a doctor for my father, he came into the, uh, the room and he was telling me, basically, I'm going to treat you just like your dad. It's, it's probably going to go the same way. I'm going to give you some medicine for a little bit and then it'll work for a little bit. Then it'll stop working and you'll probably die. That's what he told me. And I had the sentence of death within myself. I was as good as gone. But it was a reason for that. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who what? Raises the dead. Self-reliance is a dangerous sin in the ministry. I don't care how many degrees you got. I don't care how good you look. I don't care how many people attend your church or how many accolades you gain in ministry. Self-reliance will kill your ministry. Friends, you are absolutely nothing. He is everything. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's not a whole lot of something. We are nothing apart from him. Friends, we must rely on him. Brothers, I pray you don't need this hard lesson that I've had in order to make you rely on him. But I pray that right now you will make up in your mind that you're going to trust and you're going to live in the promises of God. I pray that you would do that this morning. I pray. It's all about the resurrection from the dead. In verse 11, this is just the last think, little reminder that Paul gives us. It's just so good for us to suffer because our suffering helps our people. Why? Because they come alongside of us. Verse 11, you also must help us by prayer. That help us, that is a, a compound word in Greek. It only occurs here in the New Testament. It means with, under, work. Those three. So it's like when we suffer and when we're still trying to do ministry, it's like we're grabbing all of our people and we're all getting together under this burden and we're helping each other lift this burden so that when we have accomplishments in ministry, they can share in what we're doing. They also can experience the blessing. Like the morning when I was sick and I got into the pulpit and preached Isaiah 55 and the young man named Amir gave his life to Lord Jesus Christ. 
I had been feeling bad that week and the saints of God at the church prayed for me. And so when I'm near, bows his knee to Christ, some water and, and some, some plant, some water, but God gives the increase. All of us get to share in that blessing. As we close, friends. It's not uncomfortable telling this story on one hand and on the other hand it's encouraging because it's a testimony. But I always put in here, I'm not a hero. I'm just a dude that got sick one night and bumped into uh, Ed from a human standpoint. That's why I'm here. But from a sovereign standpoint, I'm here because of the hero. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a sinner who's been saved by grace. This salvation has been sovereignly planned by God, accomplished by Christ, and applied by the Spirit. Christ is the hero of my story. He's the hero of your story. Christ is the true example in suffering. But the Bible tells us, the Hebrew writer says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Friends, it is because of joy that we continue to suffer faithfully in the pastorate. And that same joy that was set before Christ is likewise set before us. Paul will later say in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, so we do not lose heart. Though our outward selves are wasting away, our inward being is renewed day by day. Why? For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look to the things that are seen, not not look to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The hero of the story, Jesus Christ, is the hero of redemption. And it was my father, William Montgomery, who first pointed me to Jesus Christ. He was the first pastor who I saw that suffered well. I could list a ton of of heroes I have. I could go to the martyrs and how they suffered at the stake. I could go to John Calvin and his series of sicknesses that he continued to minister faithfully through. I could go to Charles Spurgeon who famously battled with depression, but I turned to my father. He, like me, is named William Montgomery. He, like me, his birthday is November the 2nd. He, like me, had a kidney disease. and He, unlike me, died to that kidney disease. Here's one thing that he kept with me, and it's, it's, it's a lesson I pass on to you, brother pastors. When my dad was on his sick bed. Anytime something would go wrong, he would look at the whole family. And he would say, keep trusting. Keep trusting. No matter what, keep trusting. Friends, as you leave from this conference and you encounter the different challenges that you will encounter in ministry, Here's my prayer for you, and I ask that you would pray the same for me. That no matter what we go through, we'll turn to Jesus and we'll keep trusting. Keep trusting. No matter what, keep trusting. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for 
your encouragement. Lord, I thank you for these brothers who are here. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage them to continue faithful and strong in the battle. Lord, we need soldiers. There are souls that need to be saved. There are disciples who need to be edified. And Lord, these brothers are your appointed vessels to see that work accomplished. I pray that you would use each of them in your own unique and special way to bless the body of Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.